Well, I always want to thank all of those who've been a part of our worship service for Larry, Pastor Larry Thompson, who was our liturgist this morning, uh, for Gary Brubaker, our Wesley Choir and Praise Team, who always do such a beautiful job with all of our music. Thank you. And so here we are together. Now in the liturgical calendar, today is Ascension Sunday. Uh, the liturgical calendar is how the church marks time. We're in the season of Easter currently, the 50-day season of Easter. Um, now, next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. Um, a lot of times people will wear red or um, have red to mark the time. Um, it's uh, symbolizing the flames of the Holy Spirit. Now, we'll hear that story next week. <clears throat> and so there's this liturgical calendar that we follow. And then sometimes life comes full force at us. And I think this story still has something to speak to us today, even in the middle of where we are in this present moment. So as we breathe, may we listen for God's message to us. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I was talking with Stephen as I was working on my sermon and, and struggling to figure out what to say. Um, and, and he said, well, have you ever done anything like this before? And I said, oh, what you mean? preach after a mass shooting? Yeah, too many times. And so I looked through some of my past sermons over the years and I found too many. Poets, poets are some of the greatest prophets of the world today. Um, they paint the world sometimes just as it is, broken and fragile. And they hold this tension of painting the world as it could be, full of hope and love. Now, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I think, is one of those poets of, of this time. Um, he's the writer of the musical Hamilton, of uh, Moana, Encanto, so many um, of the, the songs that probably your kids and grandkids and maybe even you sing all the time. When he, um, when he won his Tony for, um, for, for Hamilton, for uh, writing Hamilton, Lin-Manuel Miranda shared this sonnet that he wrote, which was just days after uh, the Pulse shooting in Orlando, Florida. He wrote this sonnet. He said, my wife's the reason anything gets done. She nudges me towards promise by degrees. She is a perfect symphony of one. Our son is her most beautiful reprise. We chase the melodies that seem to find us until they're finished songs and start to play. When senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing here is promised, not one day. This show is proof that history remembers. We live through times when hate and fear seem stronger. We rise and fall and light from dying embers. Remembrances that hope and love last long. 
And love is love is love is love is love is love is love cannot be killed or swept aside. I sing Vanessa's symphony. Eliza tells her story. Now fill the world with music, love, and pride. That's a poem that shares the pain of the world written after the senseless tragedy in Orlando in 2016 when senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing is promised, not one day. And then finishes strong, remembrances that hope and love is love, is love, is love, is love, is love, cannot be killed or swept aside. This is the world as it should be. So much of this poem, although written in 2016 and about very specific things, is still relevant and speaks today. I try and look at the world through a lens of optimism, and sometimes I am far better than others. And there are moments that take your breath away. And we've had so many moments like this in the past week. On May 14th, 10 people were killed in a grocery store, a grocery store that was the center of a black community that the community fought hard to have in the middle of a food desert and their world was shaken. On May 16th, one person was killed and five injured in an Asian church service as a gunman barricaded the churchgoers in their church and their world was shaken. And on Tuesday, the community of Uvalde and the world were rocked as 19 children were shot and killed in their school and three adults And every news program I hear or every press conference that comes out, the story of what happened in that time is truly horrifying. <clears throat> a friend sent me a message shortly after Tuesday um, and said, where is your God? Don't you say that God is God and God is good and God is love. And so why did God let this happen? And you know, the answer that I often have for that is, I don't know. Why did this happen? I don't know. And that's not very satisfying and it doesn't answer any of the questions, does it? I don't know why these things happen. I mean, we can come up with lots of reasons. And, and I don't know why. And I, I sometimes wonder that if I could understand senselessness, isn't that a problem too? I mean, making sense out of senselessness isn't our job. I know that evil is real. It has shown itself over and over and over again. And I know that my job as a person of faith, as a Christian, as a baptized Christian, is to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And in order to resist those things, we have to hold on to hope. Even in the middle of the darkness, God is present. 
Now, our passage today is from the book of Acts, and it's Jesus' post-resurrection. After Jesus' death and resurrection, he spent time with the disciples. He's eaten with them. He's prayed with them. He's continued to teach them. And then he's reminded them, I'm not going to be here forever. And the disciples, gosh, they have been through a variety of emotions. They watched their teacher and friend arrested and killed. Some abandoned him. Some betrayed him. They grieved his loss. And then it seemed like in an instant he was back. He was there. And I would imagine that they got used to him being around again. They enjoyed his company and learning from him, being encouraged and loved by, taught how to love and show and be loved, how to show mercy and be shown mercy. And then, and then he's gone. And he gives some final in, instructions on baptizing and witnessing. And there were questions asked, but, but no answers really given. And then he was gone, ascended into the clouds. Now, whether you believe that was literally or not, it, it doesn't matter. He was gone. I mean, if that were you, what would your reaction be? I mean, the disciples just sort of stared for a while. I, I think that there were probably so many emotions. <clears throat> a little fear. Grief. Maybe some wonder. Maybe abandonment. Maybe just distracted. And, and the truth is, we, wouldn't you be a little distracted if, if you saw Jesus rise into the clouds or, or Jesus gone again? I mean, we still get distracted, don't we? There is no shortage of distractions from God's work, from the work that we're called to through Jesus Christ. Our family and friends can distract us. News or social media can distract us. Games naps. Even that voice in our head that tells us maybe we're not worth it. Sometimes I feel like I'm a little hard on the disciples and then I remember my own shortcomings. And I wonder how different would the world be if Jesus were still here, like physically still here? What if he had never left? What would or would not have happened throughout our history? Rachel Held Evans, who was a writer, she wondered if things like the Crusades would have happened. Would church splits have happened? Would there have been any oppression? I mean, you can probably name any number of historical events. Would that have happened if Jesus were still here? Or... Would we just kill him over and over? I don't know. Sometimes it is just so hard to watch the world around us. It's hard to watch the news. Following any sort of polit political conversation, right? 
news of violence and unrest in the world. And sometimes, sometimes I think it just causes us to be bitter. Maybe it brings up feelings and memories. Maybe it causes debates with friends and family about politics or religion or I don't know, just about anything. Sometimes we know the world of bitterness and resentment and death all too well. And so what do we do? Paul says that the body of Christ, the church, we, when one of us hurts, we all hurt. In the vows of our baptism, we vow to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. And I don't know about you, but I have seen those things too many times, especially this week. I have seen racism and white supremacy. I have seen oppression and I have heard some terrible and ugly things said about other human beings. And I woke up even this morning with my heart just hurting. And maybe your heart is hurting too with reports of the, these acts of domestic terrorism becoming more and more common, how easy it would be to become bitter and maybe even apathetic. And yet our baptism doesn't let us do that. Our baptism is our call into ministry to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. We start with prayer, but we can't end there. We have to put legs to our prayers. Now, for some, that might be in protest or marching in solidarity with people. For some, that might be advocating for more services with those with mental health issues. For some, that might mean addressing the sin of racism and working to eliminate white supremacy. And that might start with educating ourselves. For some, that might mean meeting and writing and calling government officials about unjust laws or practices, or even perhaps running for office yourself. One of the first things I did on Tuesday, my brother texted me and told me the news of what had happened. I was in clergy session for most of the day and, and didn't really have access to things. And so he told me, maybe it's better if you just stay disconnected. And I thought for a moment and I thought, yeah, wouldn't that be great? And then I texted my niece, Callie, who is 16. And I thought, what do I say to her? But I just texted her and I said, I want you to know something. Somebody asked me today to tell them about you. And I told them you were so smart and you were so much more aware of the world than I was at your age. And you are creative and funny and and just a jewel. And I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know that every morning I wake up and I pray for you. And I pray for your health and your safety. And I want you to know tomorrow morning I'm going to pray even harder. Because in that moment all I needed to do was tell the people that I love that I love them. And maybe that's where you start telling those people that you love, that you love them. And then I talked to the teachers in my family, 
to see how they were feeling and how I could best support them and pray for them and work for them. And then I contacted my senators and my political officials. Sometimes what we do are large and public actions and those are very important. And sometimes what we do is private and individual and those are very important. Both are valid and important. If there is something that you see and you feel like you have an answer, do something. So you think this is about laws and practices, do something. You think this is about mental health, do something. Have you cared for your own mental health and well-being or encouraged others? If you think this is about something, do something. And maybe it's a large action and maybe, maybe it's small and private. When one of us hurts, we all hurt. Now, it can be so easy to become hopeless and despondent when you look around the world at political debates, examining policies, perhaps watching threats of war and violence, seeing injustices against women and children, perhaps seeing the mistreatment of seniors. And I don't know about you, but many times I have whispered and many times I have shouted, Jesus, fix it. And then I read our passage for this morning and I think I can feel how those first century disciples and people may have felt, how, how they felt waiting for a Messiah while the whole world seemingly falls apart around them, wondering when it would happen, watching political leaders argue about who's in charge, being subjected to war and violence at all times, seeing injustices against women and children, it would be so easy to lose hope. And then, and then they felt like they had found the Messiah and Jesus was there and then he was gone. And then they were looking up, Jesus, fix it. And those cries of Jesus, fix it, mean that we actually believe Jesus can and will. When we cry, Jesus, fix it. Just like the disciples, we look up. And what if we miss what's happening around us? What if we looked at what Jesus sees? What if we listened for what Jesus says back to us? When we cry, Jesus fix it. Jesus asks, how will you help me? How will we build the hope that we wait for? How will we join in the work for redeeming the world? How will we make the world a better place here and now and for the future? We don't have to live in fear. 
We don't have to live with resentment and bitterness. We don't have to live with fear and heartbreak. God claims us as children and we continue to look around at one another. We continue the work of Jesus Christ to bring the kingdom of God here and now and for the future, to build a place of peace and justice, of love and not of fear. So how are you building the kingdom of God? Through prayer, through service, through protesting, through advocating, through solidarity, through public, through private. Fix it, Jesus. How can I help? Look up and pray and look around. Let's continue the work that Jesus started. The disciples were asked in the passage, why do you stand looking at the sky? There's work for us to do. <clears throat> Let's drag heaven to earth. Fix it, Jesus. May we join in the work that Jesus calls us to do. To be peacemakers. To be bearers of hope. To love one another as God first loved us. Fix it, Jesus. Amen.